0: Hola familia, welcome to Hey Titi, a podcast where you sit down with your favorite auntie and chat about life with a dash of advice, a sprinkle of tips, and let's not forget that adobo, that official sazón of Latinx flair. Así que vamos a empezar. Bienvenidos a Hey Titi. Familia, I'm Titi Jessie. And we're back with another episode. I just want to thank everyone for tuning in, for subscribing to the podcast, for following us on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, on all of the things, on all of the social media platforms. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, Today, I have another very special guest, and I am so excited to bring this guest to you because... They are coming from all the way on the other side of the world, and they have agreed to be a part of this podcast. I just want to say thank you to our very special guest, Maddie. Uh, Maddie is here all the way from Australia. Hi, Maddie. How are you?
1: I'm excellent, and you have to start by saying "good day," right? You know, oh, the, the, the crowd would be expecting that. Uh,
0: yes, <laughs> you put it in a text, and I could hear it. I didn't even need to; <laughs> I could hear it. <laughs> so oh, that's brilliant. Yes, good <laughs> day to you too. Gotta give the
1: people what they want. Good H- How are you? You well?
0: I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm terrific, and I'm really thrilled to. Um, I've got the opportunity to come on and talk to you. I really am.
0: Thank you. I mean, uh, this topic, I feel like is going to, it's the first time we discussed this topic, but it's such an important topic. In uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about adoption. And um, this is when you, this wasn't even on my radar. And when you suggested this topic, I thought, Oh, that's brilliant. That's exactly what we need to talk about because I've never talked about it before, but it's a, oh, no. it's a definitely, I know people who have been adopted. I've, uh, family members who have yeah. been adopted and I, but the process and the everything that goes on the ins and outs of transitioning from, um, you know, and growing your family, I think is so vital. And I know someone out there is probably thinking about it or is interested in it. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this could be a helpful, a helpful tool for them.
1: Oh, 100%. And this is something I hear too when you tell people, we don't lead and volunteer the information that our family has been built through adoption, kind of until it comes up, because you sort of want to respect the kids' stories. Absolutely. But when it does come up and people sort of give you the, oh, you know, I've I've been thinking about doing that at some point, you hear that actually quite a lot. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Because I do think that people can see there's a a definite need and, you know, who's more vulnerable in a big big world than than a little person who doesn't have a stable and safe place. So it's nice that people say that they think about it. Yes. You know? It's nice that the the level of conscience and awareness about there being situation where, where there's vulnerable children who sort of need places to go is in is in people's minds.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so um before um I always like to ask this question before we begin so oh, that yeah. I don't misgender you, but what is your preferred gender? <laughs>
1: I go with he him.
0: Okay, he him. Perfect. Okay. And so then in I may refer to you sometimes as Theo Maddie, because in Spanish Theo means uncle. Oh, I
1: like that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, well, um, I'm probably going
1: to refer to you as mate a bit, and that's obviously that is.
0: Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Call me mate. I've been. (laughs) I've needed. I've needed someone to call me mate my entire life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The moment arrived. Thank you. All right, mate. I'll keep that up. All
0: right. right. Who are you, and where are you from?
1: (laughs) Sure. my name's Matt, and I'm from Australia. I live in. The capital city of Australia is Canberra, and it's a little city about two hours inland, a little south of Sydney, a bit north of Melbourne, up in, uh, I guess, as close to you get as Hills on our big flat island. Mm -hmm. And it kind of cops a bit of uh, crap amongst towns in Australia for being like the cold town, because all the other big towns are on the coast, so they're all nice and temperate. And, you know, we get a little bit of snow sometimes and, and frost and when people have to move here from the other cities for government business or whatever, and they end up transporting their, their families here, uh, they hate their first winter.
2: Oh. Not,
1: sometimes not their first either. They hate their first twenty-five winters, or haven't made. Right. It, it gets far cooler here than than in the other big cities. So yeah, that's, that's a little snapshot of Canberra. But it's a very pretty town because it's a government town. So a lot like Washington has all the big monuments, and it's a real postcard because you have a lot of foreign dignitaries come through and that sort of thing. So a very pretty town mm-hmm. of about half a million people.
0: Wow. Half a million people. <laughs> you say town, yeah, and you right think ah, town, and more like a little city. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We'd call that a city, but yes. I mean, yeah, in the US, I don't know. Would you call that a city? Half a million? You've got like three hundred and something million people there. We've got like twenty six. So yeah, this for, is
0: true. This it's is big true. for us.
1: It's like the eighth biggest city, but yes. you know, everything's relative.
0: I come from a little town, and um, in New Jersey, and yeah. it's the capital of New Jersey, and it too is um, the capital. Has like it's a ve- it's a very small city too it's like maybe a little bigger than two miles wide and one mile deep maybe i'm Aww. yeah a little very shy of that but it's Wait. over a million people that live there
1: Oh. Yes. So there you go. This is why I use the word town instead of city. Yes. You're saying I live in this little town. It's only about a million people. <laughs> That'd be like four percent of my entire country's population. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes, this is true. Okay. <laughs> so
1: there you go. Yeah, it's a little town of half a million, nestled wow. up in the hills, and it, it's a pretty, very pretty town. It's a great place to make a life. I've, I've lived here my whole life.
0: Okay. I'm. I'm definitely gonna visit. So I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna send you a DM and say I'm in town.
1: Yes, I'm going to get a beer. Yes, yes.
0: oh yeah. What's
1: more I get a beer.
0: Oh yeah, definitely need to get a beer. Hundred percent. All right, mate, you ready?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm ready, mate. No All worries. Right.
0: <laughs> All right. So we, um, I always begin with a quote, and um, I felt like this is very fitting, very simple, but straight to the point. Family is not imp- is not an important thing; it's everything. La familia no es algo importante. La familia es todo. And that's Michael J. Fox. All right.
1: Oh, and I saw that quote, too, and I thought that's beautiful. It really <laughs> hits the spot for what we're going to talk about.
0: Oh, yeah. So um, before we begin, can you define the difference between uh, fostering and adoption? And like what oh, route sure. did you take to? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure thing. And I guess, so I've got the Australian example, which may not necessarily uh, copy-paste everywhere. And even in Australia, different states have some nuance about how these things operate. But essentially, fostering is seen as sort of a, a, a temporary arrangement immediately for a child to get a safe place to live until that situation allows them a more permanent, safe arrangement. And that doesn't mean that that permanent safe arrangement isn't still fostering, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, there really is then at that point, it's really only a legal distinction and who's got responsibilities where. For the child, it really, um, they've just got to be the the basis of all the decision-making for it. So whether that child ends up returning to, you know, say a suitable family member or maybe even the the family member that they had um, been living with before, something changes in that environment where it's safe for them to go back or whether they then potentially stay in their foster arrangement permanently or or that foster arrangement becomes an adoption or is the safe house before they get adopted to somewhere else. It's all very case-by-case. And, I mean, it's really got to be centred around the child's need first and all the adults in the room being adults in the room and making the decision for the child in the child's best interest.
0: Um, right. I want to say that in from the cases that I've come across as well, I've never adopted or fostered, but I I know people who foster yeah. and um, they um, always say the same thing. They, ha- they put the child first and fostering. they Although they would love to adopt all the children, it's what's best um, for the child and that perhaps they have other fam- family members who will then take custody of the child. And um, yeah, you're right. There are other nuances to it, but I would say that it's very similar, at least where I live at. Uh, oh,
1: yeah, and I think yeah. it's just so case-by-case depending on the individual child, the mm-hmm. family they're coming from, the family who's helping. It's, it's just so all case-by-case, case, okay. you know. Uh,
0: did you foster at all before you adopted or, um, did, you, or did you adopt first?
1: Yeah, um, gosh, well, I guess I should set the table on this a little bit. My wife and I, we, we don't have our own children and mm-hmm. we always knew we wanted children. And that was kind of something we talked about before we got married. And once we sort of ran into hurdles with having our own children and we started looking around for what options were available, that's where adoption just is one of the very top things on the list, right? You go, okay, so if we can't create our own, let's find other ways of making this happen. So that's kind of where it started. And we really only ran into foster care because I guess we were searching in the right places for it to kind of pop up. But we hadn't really considered it until we ran into the local foster care agency having like a stall set up at a market that we were at. And we got to ask somebody questions about it. So what's the deal? And once we learned a little bit more about it, we thought, okay, well, maybe this is the way. So in the state that I'm in, in Australia, children who get removed generally, they will try and place them into a foster placement. And then they're really trying to seek, if they can, the most suitable foster placement immediately that could then make themselves available to be permanent from the outset. That can be tricky because I guess you're dealing in a lot of these with it being a crisis arrangement while the kid comes into into the system in the first place, right? Right. Um, something's generally got to have gone horribly wrong. for so that to be the case, it's fairly rare that children are getting sort of volunteered by their family into foster care. Mm. And once we sort of learned that and thought, gee, you put yourself at a lot of risk of really making yourself available and vulnerable Mm -hmm. to be like, yes, we can take on this child with this situation uh, and we'll make ourselves as available as possible for as long as the child needs. But also knowing that child, depending on their specific arrangement, could just be going home in three months, six months, 12 months, 18 months, however long it might take for their situation to improve and for them to be able to go home. Mm -hmm. Gee, you, you actually take all the risk here. Yes. And that kind of made us feel a bit nervous about doing it. Right, and I think that's a, a stumbling block a lot of people would run into is go, oh, gee, I'm emotionally very vulnerable here. Hmm. Uh, so that that was sort of something we had to decide whether we could overcome because then the, the other alternative, if you want to go straight out and just adopt without going through a process like that, for us it was going to be co- compromising on some stuff. It would either have to be a local adoption of a much older child uh, an international adoption which is extremely costly in its own ways and takes a lot of time and, and energy in its own ways or this very emotionally vulnerable thing where you get access to growing the family sooner because the child's in need now right. and there's much less red tape with them coming to move in with you pretty quickly but you shoulder all this risk of the uncertainty of what the future's going to be like in terms of if they stay or not you're kind of the one who's left, um, you know empty-handed at the end of it, I guess, in a lot of ways, if, if the child goes home and you really had sort of felt like the connection was strong and that they would have been really suitable to stay if that was their situation. So it, they were, they're kind of the three, I guess, avenues we had. And that, gee, putting yourself in that kind of emotional risk did really kind of feel like the most expensive, even though the other two were either very time-consuming and compromising or very expensive and quite, you know include a lot of travel and international law stuff actually felt like the third one was the most expensive because of all the emotional turmoil it felt like you're exposing yourself to
0: exactly and then you can also feel almost tainted by the process and you wanting to grow your family you go with the best foot forward but then if an outcome were that they had to leave um, in the short yeah. term then you or even in the long term because you can foster for a long period of time before you can yeah right um yeah because
1: they're all case by case right yeah so, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and gosh, I mean, I can explain a bit more about that later too because I think we'll, we'll end up going into some of the stories yes. that, about <laughs> the, the cases that I've got as well.
0: Yes. Um, so did you adopt from Australia?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and I think it's a horrible number considering, you know, we've just discovered you know, I've got less than half a million people living here, but every night there's around 500 children living in out-of-care home arrangements. And mm-hmm. that's a lot, right? Yes. Uh, so... The, the need is there in our local community
2: right. and,
1: and I think, you know, once you know that it does kind of then make you go, wow, you know, adopting from abroad, that needs there, but gee, the need here is really immediate and I'm here. And I guess that kind of helped us decide it was worth taking that emotional risk to, um, to learn more about it and prepare ourselves for the eventuality that we might end up fostering locally.
0: Yes, and as you were saying that, I was thinking also to the almost the responsibility. At least, if I were um, adopting from abroad, that you would almost mm-hmm. have to teach the child their culture, and but it's not a culture that you're familiar with. So, in that token, oh yeah, right. So, in that token, like and if you know,
1: this is an interesting thought because yeah, yeah. what I didn't realize too, I've just adopted an Australian kid from my own town. Right, case closed. Uh, actually. My the the daughter who lives with us is the eldest of our two. We've got two girls who live with us permanently. She's got uh, some Indigenous Aboriginal uh, lineage through her father's family. Right. And, mate, let me tell you, when I was in primary school, high school 25, 30 years ago, the teaching you would get on Aboriginal culture was pretty much, right, so Captain Cook discovered Australia in 1788, sailed in and then discovered this harbour, and, and then he sent convicts over, and, and that's where Australia started. It's like, whoa, hang on, wind that back. To, to learn about the Aboriginal uh, presence on the island before white folks arrived, and then to also learn, actually, when you look at the Australian map of what that looked like, there's 200 nations of Aboriginal people living on the Australian mainland before white folks arrive and they're just like, ah, let's throw them all in a basket and just call them by one name. And they're all the same. So there's a lot of nuance and a lot of resource to go searching for to help try and educate her, not just about being an Aboriginal woman,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: also about her particular nation and, you know, any custom that comes with that, any language, any stories. Um, and I mean, with that kind of education and introduction to uh, interacting with the Aboriginal culture, Man, it showed just what a shortfall we had in that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we had adopted an Australian girl from our own town. Oh, <laughs> culturally, there's a huge gap still. Right. And just in that case.
0: What would you say to someone who would say, oh, well, you know, now that they're living with me, they don't need to learn that culture?
1: Ooh. You know, I think that's kind of dangerous. and Because I think, you know, if, if you swap that all around, you go, oh, so if I moved in with someone else, I just have to drop who I am Right. and, and just, you know, oh, what's that horrible word that they use all the time? Like, uh, it's not amalgamate, but um, uh, it'll come to me later. But okay. the idea of, uh, yeah, it going to come to me later. I can't believe I'm blanking on this. But, yeah, the idea of just having them assimilate. That's the word I'm looking right. for, assimilate. Okay. <laughs> and I think it's just a vulgar word because to, to have somebody say to you, hey, Jesse, can you just drop every cultural thing that makes you you mm-hmm. so you can be part of this experience? Um in fact, we're not even going to ask you. We're just going to tell you. You've just got to drop everything that makes you you from that part of you so you can just better fit in. Uh, with this new life, we're going to make for you. And I just kind of think that's kind of vulgar. So that's... Absolutely. I mean, without without being mean to people who just maybe potentially need a little bit more education or... So I, I was one of those folks who just didn't have enough education to know better. Mm-hmm. The education's there and available and there's people who are willing to share it. And I think that if... You, if you're in that position, it's it's, it's really because you haven't had either the opportunity or the inclination to find out more. So maybe you could make it your business to find out more.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're taking care of a new individual and uh, you want them to be exposed and aware as much as they can be about themselves and their history and their ancestry. And you want them to know that it's totally a part of their identity because um, if you don't, then they're missing out on a world of opportunities to learn more about the world around them, about themselves, to become more diverse, individual. It's, it's definitely a vital, important thing to continue to do. Um, and anyone who's thinking about adopting, knowing that that is something you have to consider or be aware of that you may need to include into your parenting. Um, and that's, um, that's, a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for saying that because it's vital. It's, it's definitely a part of, you never know what, you know, because you said it's situational, but it's also, um, culturally there's, it's a very diverse country, all countries. And, um, you want to make sure that the person you're adopting is aware of their background and where they come from and that there's more to them than what they even may know about.
1: Uh, mate, 100%. And like the word we use around it is just identity, right? And it's yes. the idea of, okay, so every apple comes from a tree. What does that apple know about its tree? If it's not near its tree, then it's got really very little reference about how this apple came to being what it is. So for us, we don't have a terrific relationship with one of the families of the girls that we um, uh, that that we have in our, our family now. and that, And that's difficult because... We would like for her to have enough exposure to her family, for her to really understand how she came to being the little apple that she is. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily easy to do, where for our older daughter, the relationship's wonderful with the family who are local here. And and she really gets exposure to that. It really, I think, helps her feel very confident and um, together about who she is, where she came from, why she is. The way she is. Oh, I can reference this because this parent and this grandparent who I I see. Oh, I can see I'm like them. I think it just helps her really put her ducks in a row about who she is in the world, and it's just harder for our younger one who doesn't have as much exposure to that. And we can share stories of what we know about her family, which is great, and talk positively about her family. But it's just it's not the same as having that contact.
0: Oh no, Uh, absolutely not. So we sort
1: of realise the responsibility we've got there, and it's important because I mean I would I would want to know those things about me too.
0: Right, right, absolutely. Um, so how did, now that's a big thing. Was that, um, my next question, I'm going to have to throw in the culture piece in there too, then, um, what steps did you take then to prepare to like begin the adoption, the the financial, the physical, and then I know that on top of that, now the cultural, was that something that was even in, even in your thoughts when you were beginning to adopt?
1: It really wasn't. I mean, (laughs) taking the foster care option, meant that there was less upfront costs. So financially it was less to consider. It really was then about, um, well, what were the specifics of a case that we wound up with gonna need? And that unless we were taking on a child who was sort of under two years old and sort of needed someone with them all the time, right. they really discourage children under two going into a foster care arrangement and then going straight into like daycare 40 hours a week. Um, they want them to be able to build a with the family they're in. Right. And to build some relationships if it looks like they're going to be there for a period of time. And then that was sort of what we were hoping to do. <laughs> we wanted to grow a family with uh, children who were as early in the life cycle as possible because we wanted to experience all of that too. Um, so that was a consideration we had. And how would we financially juggle, okay, mm-hmm. someone's going to have to either stop work completely or really dial it back. How do we, you know, keep servicing the mortgage but the good thing I think about them, the, the foster care part, is that it does come with a whole bunch of support.
2: Okay.
1: That was helpful, that the agency and there's the a department within the local government too that provide funding and support for some parts of it as well. So medical and things like that that the children need, um, day-to-day stuff that they need, the, uh, the department and the agency will help you along with that. I mean, no one runs at a profit on these things. You're doing it because you want to. Right. Uh, it's definitely not a way to make money. It's literally subsidising It's not paying the stuff. Right, right. are funding bunches of it But the, where, where if you're going Straight out of adoption You're immediately taking In, in our country the, the distinction really is Oh in foster care somebody else still has What they call like the parental Responsibility for the child okay. And that sits with the department In our local government But we as the foster carers provide The day to day care We're not the legal guardian. Once you adopt, you become the legal guardian and you can do things where you see fit, like maybe get a new birth certificate issued and the child can take on your surname if that's going to be suitable, whatever it might be. So that's kind of where the distinction is in Australia and in the state I'm in. Okay. So for us, taking on the foster care option did give us a little bit of a softer landing and knowing that potentially any child who came through with foster care might get to stay permanently and that's... Sort of what we were hoping. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's kind of why we got into it. And that then, you know, we'd get access to be able to adopt them. But we'd get all this help and support and, and meet peers who were doing the same thing um, by going the foster care route. So I guess there was a lot to prepare our brains for because we didn't really know the size of what we're getting into. And it wasn't until you sort of start taking the steps into it and you go, wow, this is... Uh, <laughs> right. by fire. But you just don't know the bounds of how big this, this whole thing is. Yes. Um So yeah, it was, it was really staggering, but the training they put us through, I think you'd find this interesting, actually, the training they put us through was the big eye opener and, and I can remember as I was writing out my notes on, on this, I was thinking to myself, man, I can, I can actually really take myself back to feeling like, you know, I'm a very middle-class, very white, Australian, Christian, middle-class boy from a nuclear family in the suburbs, like. To me, the idea that there was just so much need for children to have safer places to go, that there was so much in the community and that you as a carer might all of a sudden become somewhere where a child feels like they can you know, disclose something that's happened in their birth family or that you who are providing the care actually might have an allegation made against you. Oh, all those yeah. things were kind of like, wow, I just really hadn't considered how big some of this stuff is, like that you might be trusted to handle some of those things on behalf of the child who discloses something to you or that you, they might disclose something to somebody else that's an allegation about you because you're putting yourself in that vulnerable position. of was
2: like, Right.
1: That's a lot of risk. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I think it was only because I just hadn't really considered it because I just hadn't put myself in the spot to be exposed to a lot of it. So that was a real rattler for me. That was another thing I really had to prepare for that I wasn't really aware I was going to need to prepare my brain for.
0: I mean, you're telling me this, and I'm kind of like, w- I didn't even think of that either. Because, yeah, you're taking, yes! you know, they're coming from a situation, <laughs> but you don't really put too much emphasis on the situation part. So you're just like, I'm just taking in the child. But really, there's something or many things, or, you yeah. know, there's also who knows what other. Level gravity. Right, so it's exactly law of gravity. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine the emotional toll that must have taken. Um, Here you are. Oh, yeah. Right? Once
1: we came back from that training, talking to each other in car going, is this for us? Like, uh, honestly thinking about it, going, is this for us? And it might not be both of us at the same time. It might be me coming home from one of the training evenings, talking to the wife in car going, oh, that really rattled my cage. Like, yeah, it's kind of got me a bit spooked. Or it might be her. And the other mm-hmm. one's feeling fine, and we can talk each other off the ledge a bit. But I think that's it. Only gives me real admiration for folks who manage to parent without having a partner and and it not being a team arrangement where people parent solo. Because I think, man, without each other to to be each other's rock on that, I don't know how we would have got through that process. Because I think it's easier to get spooked in and then not go back. Uh, and that's really you know heightened the needing to be a team and needing to. Um, to prop each other up, and be aware of what the other person's thinking and feeling, to be to be the the, the safe place that the child needs.
0: And that speaks a lot to, to you and your wife's relationship, and that you and how strong it is, and the yeah. bond that you have, that you were able to go through such. Um, I don't even want to call it tumultuous. I like a son, such an uneasy time where you're kind of on the fence, but then you also really want to go in and you know where you want to take your family and to know that you still were able to be there with your partner and help them through it. What, what things did you do other than like kind of talk each other off the ledge? If you could (laughs) give a couple advice about like, what could they do for one another when um, you're going through this transition? What, could you speak to that a little bit?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely, because I think it's just something that I don't know how other relationships work, really. I've been with my wife since we were quite young. Like We were maybe 20 when we met, and we've been together almost that many years now, too. So it's, it's kind of hard to remember what life's like in a relationship that's not with her and, and not really sort of knowing how other relationships work. But, I mean, we've, over time grown together so much that you, you get to see all the really great stuff that blossoms in each other and you become a you become who you are because of, you know, a lot of things the partner does to help you grow into the person you are. And a lot of who you grow into is because of your partner. So no one's better positioned to be that person, to be hyper aware about what what the other needs. And I think that we constantly are talking about that. And and it's that communication piece that I think just sounds so token and so um I don't know it's almost like a cliche you just got to communicate but it's 100% it's so true. true you really yes. do and you got to be vulnerable and you've got to be yes. honest about being vulnerable which is not always easy especially for blokes us fellas are not always great at being emotionally aware emotionally literate and being okay with showing weakness to your partner because you want to be superman and you want to you know th- that stoic thing of you know just toughing it out stiff upper lip is such a blokey mm-hmm. thing and it really gets in the way of emotional growth and you've got to, I think from me speaking on behalf of being the very, um, I guess, token male in the relationship too, of having to learn how to do that and be okay with that um, because I know it's not easy to do and I haven't necessarily enjoyed the process of doing that because it's hard, Absolutely. but it's extraordinarily beneficial because, gosh, so my partner Belle, could, she can see the ripples in in my pond that I'm having, you know, strife or stress or anxiety about something before I'm even close to talking about it because she can just read the signs because the communication piece is there and we just know each other back. Like we just know each other backwards. like that. And I think, I don't know if other folks' relationships are much like that, but I think we would completely struggle if we weren't sort of back-to-back with each other like that, you know, if, if, if we weren't able to be each other's eyes where the other person can't see.
0: Absolutely. Especially because it's we not just it. the process, actually, then when you actually become, you begin begin to foster or really any point in your relationship, yeah. those, you need your partner to be there for you in those ways. And if you haven't communicated it to them, then they're at a loss. They're not, they're not sure how they can help you. So, um, being vulnerable, even though it's hard, it's the biggest thing you can do for yourself and for your relationship
1: completely agree. And it's not even in this particular, you know, in this arrangement where we're talking foster care and adoption, where you're doing something kind of a bit uncommon, uncommon in life. Right. I think if you don't have one or two relationships where you can have that kind of freedom mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and to really honestly communicate like that with a couple of relationships in your life, they don't all have to be as deep as that, but some safe places to be like that then one, you're missing out, but two, it's, I, I just don't know how people get through. Like I think that's where you see people who struggle then with mental health and anxieties because they just don't have safe access points to, to get propped up. Absolutely. To let that stuff out.
0: Absolutely. Um, so and, then- I mean we
1: would 100% struggle without that and we would struggle if we didn't have families that we knew who have similar pressures to us because I think parenting is parenting, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many things that I do in a day that any parent can relate to mate, you were wearing both socks five minutes ago and now you can only find one sock. Like <laughs> stuff that's just so relatable. But sometimes like the birth family stuff isn't always so relatable. The court process stuff isn't always so relatable. So it's good to have peer families that you can talk to really honestly about that kind of stuff too because they've been through the same process or they're about to go through the same process and you can be a support to them. Having peers who've got similar shared experience is super important in it as well.
0: That's really important, too, to place yourself within those programs to ready yourself. And then now you're centered around other people who are also going through the same process. And so you create a small community and you may even become someone that you rely on in the future to help you with a situation um, or an emotion or just someone to relate to is is probably a vital part of the process. I didn't even think about is building a community around it.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's vital. Really, really vital. And it's easy because the great thing about agency is that it will arrange for these things to happen where you can just meet people who are in the same sort of situation. So we've met most of our foster family friends through things that were initially arranged by the agency to help people network like that. And then once you've made that connection, you can manage the relationship yourself and you don't have to continue to go to those. You can just... Create the friendship organically yourself from that, you know, rehearsed meeting, I guess, of, oh, we're all going to go to this, this event put on by the agency. Oh, we've just met these three families. And you can manage it yourself from there. And we've got some, what I would imagine are going to just be lifelong friends
2: Absolutely. from
1: having just had that meeting at one of these things set up by the agency. Because we've just got so much shared story that, you know, that other folks don't necessarily get as easily.
0: Absolutely. And it's just nice
1: to have support like that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a, a fraternity or sorority. It's like your own little clique.
1: <laughs> uh, Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, were there any other positive or negative changes in your relationship as a result of the adoption? I mean, excuse me, the fostering process.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a very stressful process. The way it works in our town too is that our 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 process is that if a child comes into care under five years old they are immediately as quick as possible trying to get that child matched to a family who mm-hmm. they think could look after that child till they're 18 and that, that family, they're, they're always trying to seek a family who would volunteer to be that.
0: Well, under five. Not always
1: possible. Not always possible. Right. That's the ideal, right? Right. It's under five. Try and introduce as much stability as early into the child's life as possible once they've had this traumatic and, and um, you know, it's, it's a big upheaval. Like, I can't imagine at five years old just being transplanted to a completely different family. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of grief and loss around all these day to day things that would have felt normal, whether they seem normal to other people or not. And then just not having them and being supplanted into a, and put, put in a, a completely different arrangement. So they're, they're then trying to seek as much stability as possible. The earlier can introduce the stability, you see the long term outcomes improve. So it's backed by the research that these agencies and, um, and the department do, which is great, but it's just not, always possible to do that the way the process works here is that for under five that's what they're trying to do for the process then is always to be working with some member of birth family any member of birth family who feels like they would be a suitable place for the child to then be restored to to try and get the restoration to happen and get it to happen as early as possible as well to minimize the disruption to the child and introduce that stability again as early as possible so that's the the goal because I mean at the bottom of it all wouldn't it be great if everyone could live with their family if it was safe to do so right right that makes sense so where then that's not possible we you want them in to the place that they're going to stay as early as possible so they can get familiar with that and get the arrangements around them for what contact they're going to have with the birth family so then they can get about living and having a nice stable beautiful life so all these things make a ton of sense it's just, it's not that easy. <laughs> so that sounds, that's the absolute, you know, read right off the back of a cake mix version of how this is meant to work. And then actually doing it, <laughs> it's not that easy because you're dealing with, you know, it's a highly emotional thing. The birth family it can become a very highly emotional thing for you, the family who, who has a little person living with you. And that then there's all the very unemotional part of legal process. Mm. Um, and that, that, that is stressful because, say, the situation we have with our youngest one, she is, she came to us very, very young, only a few days old. She got removed from her mother, who also had other children already in care. She was known to the department. Mm. And there's no, like, what they're not trying to determine oh, are we a better place to live than with the mother? What they're trying to determine is, doesn't matter how many children the mother has had removed from her. Is the mother safe to live with now?
0: Right.
1: You know, each case is its own case. It doesn't, you know, okay, she's got a track record where these other children are in care, okay, but is she safe now? Because they do allow that, you know, a person can grow and they can improve and they can change. And, um, and that can be tricky because, I mean, as the carer too, you look at it and go, this woman's had three children removed from her already. Oh, man, there's no right, way. Right. she. <laughs> it just seems so open and shut. And it's not, it's really not Each case is its own case. And that's a really tough thing to know that uh, you're investing in this child who's only a few days old and going, I will be here until you're an adult.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> but at any point, if the mom shows that she can do this, then potentially you might be going back up to a certain point. And then, you know, there'll be a certain point where they say, well, actually, okay, now for the child's stability, it's better if she doesn't move. Mm-hmm. And now she's in permanent foster care and that's the end of that. So, I mean, just from describing that, you can imagine the emotion of being on any side of that. I'm I'm stressed. I'm like getting stressed
0: just thinking about it, just thinking about all the twists and turns and then... Here you are, just you just want to do the best that's there for the child, for the child, and then you know the the agencies are doing what they believe is best was for the that's for the child, and then the parent who is probably now may or may not be wanting to do what's best for the child, and so like you have all, and then you have the child who's just there in the midst of everything. Mm
1: -hmm. This is the way I describe this for the child, right? So for the child, it's like being the duck on the pond, like you just see the duck gliding on the pond. And what they're not meant to see is all the thrashing and kicking and wave-making underneath the water, which is what us grown-ups in the room and the agency and the birth family need to be doing to try and work out what the best arrangement is so the child can have the glide across the pond experience. Right. And that's how I describe it.
0: That's a great analogy. <laughs> You're absolutely right.
1: <laughs> it's a for a while. It's taken a little while for that one to marinate, but that's how I describe it because it's all these machinations going on in the background. They're 100% around the kid and that, you know, the duck glides across the the pond because these things are happening. Right. But, you know, the kid's not meant to be disrupted by it all. It's just meant to be happening behind the curtains um, and and for the kid's life to just be as smooth and wonderful as as it can be. Right. Um, And it's not always the case either. You know, in the case of a little one, the birth family has a really tough time accepting the arrangement the way it is. And really wants to disrupt it. And that's a hundred percent it like it makes our life difficult and it's not great, but it's a hundred percent understandable. Mm-hmm. And she's gonna feel her feelings and that's fine. It's just um trying to keep the duck gliding on the pond while those things are happening can be tricky.
0: Absolutely. Um so now we kind of touched on this too in the beginning about um one of one of your children and and, uh, so I know that you said that they were, or that, excuse me, that they are, she is indigenous. And so, yeah,
2: um,
0: I know that must've been a surprise for you to realize, oh, now I have to teach the culture. So was that, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't mean to say it like that, but surprise, <laughs> all of a sudden, um,
2: Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And so, did kind of like that? Yeah. So
0: like when, when you, when you're surprised and you thought, oh, gee, I have to teach them this as well. Um, could you talk to, uh, towards that? Because how was that when, when you began to foster the child? How was that? How did that alter your relationship? Like, um, how did you deal with that? Not deal. That's not the yeah, best word to it. use.
1: <laughs> yeah, manage it, right? Right. Um, and given the background that we have, like we're both, my wife and I are the exact same age. So we went through school in the same way, learning the very same broad brushstroke, very quickly dismissive things about what Indigenous culture was like. And now to be given the responsibility of trying to help our 11-year-olds be a strong Indigenous woman in a world where you know, there's a lot of people who just misunderstand it and who aren't educated and and to make her feel confident and strong in, in having that as part of her identity and, and part of her makeup. That's, that's a big order. It's a tough ask. And we've been extraordinarily lucky that we've got a terrific relationship with her paternal grandfather. So her father isn't in the picture really at all. Okay. And... Um, he's sort of appeared up, up here and there. So we know who he is and we can talk positively about him to her. But he, day to day, month to month, year to year, he's just kind of not accessible. But that guy's father is. And he's super engaged. Wow. And hes it's his family that has the lineage. So for him as an elder in the family, he is very proud of his Indigenous culture too. He has been just the most terrific resource For us, because we have enormous knowledge gaps, so
0: Mm -hmm. to be able
1: to give Peyton that exposure one-on-one with her grandfather to get, you know, these are ancient cultures. It's it's not a written historical thing like European cultures or you know more modern histories. It's verbal. It's expressive. It's in song sometimes. It's it's looking at the night sky and telling the story from what you can see of the stars. It's, it's immersive and I can't do that the way that Poppy can do it. Wow. And I couldn't – I don't think I could, you know, be his left pinky in terms of knowledge and um, <laughs> immersion for her in that. So we're just so lucky to have any connection with a guy at all in the first place since the father's just sort of not around. So to be able to skip over – not having that relationship and to have a relationship with that fellow's father who is this cultural keystone, so lucky, just so lucky. And and we 100% appreciate how lucky we are to have access to that. So we use it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because... He's so immersed in it, and that you yourself are learning from him. And I know, I know she's also learning from him, and just like you are becoming a more worldly person just by having that connection.
1: Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. And I think, you know, for the experience my wife and I had as, as children learning about Aboriginal culture, that was it was all one title for, for everyone. They were all just Aboriginal, and that was it. You get into learning with. When, when you're it's part of our family. Now we're we're an Aboriginal family by proxy
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we're a Wiradjuri family. That's the name of the nation that her family's lineage is through, which is a part of what's now called New South Wales, the state sort of my little ACT state is sort of completely enclosed around by. And, and it's land that we can visit. It's not very far away. My My own father grew up in that area. Oh, so wow. I've got a connection to the land up there too. And I can tell stories about the land up there in a different way to Peyton and have connection to the same land that she's got this family, strong family lineage connection to. And, and it's not until you get exposure to someone who has that nuance and has that all that rich storytelling history that you can get beyond those layers of being like, right, so here's the terrible late 80s education you got on Aboriginality. And here is some beautifully specific stuff about this one nation of of Aboriginal folks who are connected to this ancient part of this land right here, so close to where we live, a couple of hours drive um, it's It's just crazy to have access to that, knowing how short we were on any of that kind of information
0: right, which is so beautiful to uh, that that's um as you were saying, that, I was like, imagine if she was if she was um, adopted abroad, how much different her experience would have been. Right? So, yeah. Uh, and she literally can go and be in the land where her, her family is from. That is so powerful. Um,
1: Pretty fantastic. Uh, it's. it's that, that's not always a given, right? Mm-hmm. Just lucky. Just there's so many things about this that are lucky.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking um, and kind of reflecting on that on my own, you know, my own life, my family is from yeah. Puerto Rico, but I grew up in the state yeah. in, in New Jersey. And, um, so much of my culture, I don't know, and I'm not exposed to it uh, other than the language. And, um, yeah. um, I'm, I always feel kind of as an outsider looking in, like I'm a part of it, but not truly oh. because I don't really, I have connection like with my grandmother, um, but even she has like of you know she's she's much older now too, and uh, she does suffer from uh, a little bit of dementia <laughs> and uh, uh. She, she can share what can she can share um but uh, you know it's not it's not the same as being a part of the culture and being immersed in it from an early age, so the it's just yeah. beautiful to know that she is even able to just uh, have a connection and be a part of it and And not only just hear it, but see it. That's that's amazing.
1: Oh, it really is. It really is, and just uh, lucky because I mean, we are no simulation for that. My wife and I. We can try our best, but we are no simulation for that real thing.
0: (laughs) Right. It just happened. It just happened by chance. Right. (laughs) Uh, So then, Uh, how did it? How did it work then? Because I. I know I asked in the in the notes about adoption, but I know that this is it's fostering. So then, how did you maintain the relationships with the families, or how did you? Yeah, and I think both
1: our girls are in such different situations because they're right. not
0: related, right?
1: And they're raised as sisters, but the the four people in our house we don't share even one little gene. You know, four <laughs> completely different people come from four very different places, so it's each of them has their own situation that so and i mean everyone's the same everyone's got different uh, relationships in in their own families as it is and people that they are closer to and people that they don't have as much relationship with so for our older one she's got a mother who lived locally here until very recently she's only just sort of recently moved interstate and we've got a beautiful connection with her and, and we're on the phone to her nice and often the grandfather also lives interstate but we're on the phone with him often and he travels back here occasionally and that's kind of most of the connection she's got with the adult parts of her family. But there are other brothers and sisters. She's got two sisters through her father's side who live way down in Tasmania, the island at the bottom of Australia. Mm. And we don't have a heap of connection with them. It's just, we, we just don't have a lot of avenues to make contact with them. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a sister who lives here in our town who's been fully adopted by another white family like us. Who's And, and her sister isn't Indigenous. She doesn't have the same father but has the same mother so she's been fully adopted by this other white family and we see her three or four times a year and that's lovely the resemblance is there they definitely can they get that they're connected
2: right and
1: they've got a lovely relationship and i think they're probably going to need each other as adults it's, it's nice that they've got that opportunity to connect with each other because they've got enough shared story too that i think that's going to matter when they grow up absolutely and then there's a much younger brother who's oh probably four years younger than, than our daughter and he lives interstate as well and he has been with that family since he was born, that the mother offered him straight up into um, into the system and then was able to maintain a relationship with the family that he's been adopted into. So then we were able to um, make that connection through her to that family because we, we've got a nice relationship with the birth mother. So that way we've been able to keep in touch with, at least for, for her, her older sister and her younger brother, as well as this mother and, and paternal grandfather. So that's kind of, it's an interesting, like, to draw this out would be difficult, like family treeing this sucker would be, <laughs> be a bit of a nightmare, but it's completely different than for our younger daughter, and she's got a mother who lives locally, she's got grandparents who just live a town over, beautiful, there's no mention at all of father's family, father at all, no father on the birth certificate, so we're only managing one half of the family there at all, and it's only three people, but then there's also two older sisters, and there was a much older brother who's Sadly, passed away a couple of years ago, but there's two sisters and they both live local enough that we can see them a couple of times a year. We we try and just tee up through school holidays to go bowling or something, you know, just something where it can be about the activity because the age breaks, the older ones, you know, 17 and then there's a 13 year old and then our younger ones just turned eight. So the age breaks are a bit awkward to find it as something for them to do, (laughs) which is, you know, they can all relate to because the age breaks are so big, but, they really enjoy their time together when they get it too, which is nice, you know? So there's a bit of managing relationships and a bit of managing family. And most families don't have to do that on top of their own siblings, families and their own aunts and uncles. But I think you've got to have that approach to it. If you want to do this is that you're not just taking in the kid, you're, you're taking in more family, a lot more family. And if you're not taking that approach to it, then you're probably not doing the child justice.
0: Wow. You're right. Um, that's another layer. Then having the extend, the even the extended family, and then what if they have siblings? I never thought of that. What if they have siblings? How do you maintain those yeah. relationships? How how do you uh, arrange and and also too? There's so many personalities that get mixed into it. Um, because everyone, you know, everyone comes from a different background and they themselves yeah. may, you know, may not see it the way you see it. So it, it could sometimes maybe even feel like a pill battle attempting to maintain the relationships between them. And how do you even yeah, stay cordial during all that? Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and it's tough because you, I guess, uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding I don't know, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> say it. <laughs> you're not friends with these people. Right. You just kind of happen to know these people because you share a relationship with this one person and you you don't have to work together, I guess. We kind of say that we have to work with them. We have to, or at least try. Right. Um, and and then not always people who are responsive to it, not always want to feel threatened by you, don't like you, not because they don't like you because you're part of the system and they hate the system. There's a lot of emotion around it and it's just – you know, then if you're picking a team of people to work with, often you probably aren't picking the people that you end up working with when it's just
2: True. adoptive family and
1: birth family, foster family and birth family. Right. You've got this one beautiful thing in common and often very little else. Um, but, you know, you, you've you sort of, I think just for the kid, you've really got to put
2: aside yeah. for you
1: and me and, and realize that it's important for the child because, for me, I mean, I grew up with my both my parents in the household. I grew up with my brother and sister in the household. I'm 100% at peace with my identity. I can see the parts of me that came from where in the family. I can see why I've got this, you know, mm-hmm. particular gait in the way I walk. I can see why, you know, m- my hair's graying where it is, whatever, because you know, I've got this relationship with my dad. And, you know, I can see these things and, and it'd just be a pity for – any kids coming into care to not have access to that if they could.
0: Absolutely. So did um, – Just for their own identity. Yeah. And so I know you said that you got your one daughter at very, a very early age at the four, four days old. And then so, – Four but, days old. Right. That's – wow. Um, and then did the age – I know when maybe maybe fostering is different, but did it matter when the children were coming at what age? I know the agency places them, but did that yeah. matter to you and your wife?
1: A hundred percent it did. Yeah. I guess selfishly to start with, we were only doing this because we didn't have our own. We weren't some community crusaders trying to save all the children. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have children in our lives and we knew that that's what we wanted. Right. So it does come from a selfish place to begin with, I guess. But if you're going to go that far, then you might as well try and manufacture as much of it as you can to suit what you want as well. So to us, it was important to have to to try and build it from as early into the child's life cycle as possible so we could get those experiences that we knew our family and friends were having with their own children. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, aside from the pregnancy part of it, we've simulated almost all of that because Willow came when she was just four days old, which is wild. And that comes with a cool story too that I'll, I'll throw in in a sec. Um, and to get that whole experience, completely different from our older one, came 18 months old with a handful of words and very clumsy uh, <laughs> sort of walking action because she, she sort of had a bit of a tumultuous 18 months before coming to us. Oh. And and that's not the same as a newborn. I mean, and we, I guess, had kind of thought to ourselves that's, that might be The closest we get. That might be the closest we get. Mm -hmm. And that would be fine. So then when the agency rings one day and says, hey, um, there's a lady who's having a baby tonight or tomorrow uh, and once the baby's stable, just going to need somewhere to live probably permanently. Um, You know, there's a a history of the family having their other children in care.
2: Would you be interested?
1: Uh, It took all of about a second and a half for us to be like, yes.
2: (laughs)
0: Right, right.
1: (laughs) Um, because it was important to us and we were at a spot where we knew we could accept another child into our family at that point. Um,
0: what was that you transition? you like? tell you a
1: little bit about that story? Yes, tell me, it's, yes. It's
0: just, <laughs> I have a quite, Mike, there's story. a thousand questions running through my, well, not a thousand, a few, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to answer zero of them here to try okay. this on. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> it was on a Thursday, I got this phone call and we went, yes, you know, and then kind of went, Shoot that means probably by Monday, we're gonna to have to have done everything most families would take six, seven months to do. Cause we were set up for having, you know, all well, the one was almost three at, at that point. She was, we just didn't have anything for children under sort of that three year old age because we'd moved on from that. So we spent the weekend and the rest of that week sort of, you know, finding buy, swap and sell sites and asking around family and friends to see what things they might have that we could just kind of cherry pick from to get us by. And we found this buy swap and sell site on Facebook, where there was this lady, a suburb over, who was packing up her family daycare, retiring down the coast to a little hamlet down there, and just looking to pack her stuff up, and was selling stuff off, really not even to make a profit, just so people will take it. And we arranged to go over and have a bit of a swan about and pick up this, um, you know, change table and, and something else from her. And we got across there, and it was a Saturday morning, and I brought Peyton with me. And we're picking this stuff up and the lady's like telling us her story and she's asking about us. And she leans into Peyton and says to her, you know, almost three-year-old Peyton, so is mummy at home resting, you know, because we told this woman, oh, the baby's probably coming Monday. And, I mean, she looked at us confused about if the baby's coming Monday, what the hell are you doing here on Saturday? <laughs> picking stuff up. How have you left it so late? And and she leans into Peyton, already confused to ask that. And Peyton says, well, no, mum's at work. Because, you know, my wife was working at a doctor's office. She wasn't pregnant. But the woman's demeanor changed completely to me. Like oh, I was some slave driver who sent my nine and a half month pregnant wife off to work <laughs> on a weekend before she's about to drop this baby on a Monday. And it was at that point I felt like I had to confess what was going on because, I mean, we don't lead with the story. Oh, we, you know, we just don't lead with that. Right. And I felt like I had to confess to what was going on. And by the time I'd sort of described, okay, so here's why it's a Saturday and we're, you know, we've got this baby coming Monday and this is why my wife's at work. And, this you know, this girl's a benefit of the same system and, and she's been living with us for 18 months and then the woman's demeanor flipped the exact opposite way but way back further even kinder than she was to start with, and she was just giving me stuff um and wasn't willing to accept payment for anything so it was just funny to see this woman go from being like this kind elderly lady who is just you know inquisitive to being horrified to being just you know over the top kind in about three minutes it was wild. <laughs> the
0: whirlwind of emotions, <laughs> that poor woman. <laughs> she was probably thinking about calling the agency on you. She's like, wait a minute, this is not right.
1: <laughs> I just couldn't believe the look on her face when Peyton said, oh, she's at work. And the woman looked at me like I was just scum. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was sending my wife to
1: work on the Saturday before Procedure Monday. Of course,
0: <laughs> of course. <laughs> so
1: I hope that didn't. Uh, I doubt that answered any questions, but I needed that. To act, that that to was the, the question I was
0: going to ask. Well, you know that no takes. A lo- yes, this is exactly that. How how did you prepare? Because here you are receiving the phone call and the baby's born, and <laughs> now what did you do? So that that that, that answered it right away.
1: <laughs> you better be kidding! And here <laughs> I was just thinking I was indulging myself. There
0: you go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> same train of thought. It's a
1: terrific story. <laughs> I'll tell that story anytime I get the chance to. It's just wild, yeah. so funny.
0: <laughs> I love.
1: Like,
0: oh my goodness! <laughs>
1: I put her through the emotional ringer. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, she was extraordinarily gracious, and uh, and you know, and it's funny. People often are in this little community too. Um, gosh, because because of the community of other carers we're in who've either fostered, adopted or have long-term orders or whatever their arrangement might be. And like our two girls have different arrangements. they younger ones just in permanent foster care. Our older one, we've been able to get pretty well the closest thing you can get to an adoption for a white family with an Aboriginal girl.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I'll explain that a little bit in a sec. But, you know, because people's families are sometimes changing shape and because everyone's got different arrangements and different conglomerations of where people have come from and how much and what ages they all are. There's just a beautiful sharing amongst each other mm-hmm. of stuff, you know, just of stuff. And there's these nice little channels of, we've got this beautiful family who we've been friends with who adopted five kids from four different families. Holy cow, they just seem like five. superheroes to us.
2: Wow.
1: But they've got this one daughter, four boys and this one daughter. The youngest is the daughter. But every time she grows out of something, they just send us the stuff over because oh. they reckon, you know, maybe not straight away, but it'll fit our little one eventually. And it's just so sweet, you know. And we have gotcha. a channel where we do that—the same thing. Without when our youngest one grows out of stuff, we just send her on to another one of our foster friends because they've got a little girl. It's just—it's—it's it's lovely, really lovely. That
0: and is the
1: definitely. friends we wouldn't have met any other way. We would just not know these people any other way.
0: Right. Oh my goodness, I can't uh, just how much um how much you've even grown yourself as a person. Like, if you look back on yourself before you even started the process, what? Like, do you even see yourself as the same person?
1: (laughs) Not close. I think the most, and I say this all the time. I say, if I could go back and tell 15-year-old Maddie, hey, mate, in 25 years, this is what your life's going to look like. I would have said, too hard, mate.
0: Too hard. It's And I think if I
1: had the same conversation with 25-year-old Matt and said, hey, in 15 years, here's what your life's going to look like. That guy would say the same thing. he just goes, too hard. But, mate, I don't know it any differently. Because I've never had kids any other way. All the stuff that comes with these kids where you do this managing other stuff, it just comes with them. And I don't know it any other way. So would I change it? No, because then I wouldn't have the kids. Would it be easier if I didn't have to do those things? Oh, sure. But I don't know what that's like. So I don't miss it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: How can you miss it? i, mean, I do When I was going
1: through this process. Yeah. One of my managers at work, I needed to take time off work to go to a few things to, to prepare myself for this. And he goes, Maddie, I love what you're doing. I've got a blended family myself because I was married before, had kids. My wife now was married before, have kids. We've got kids together. You just love them all anyway. Like, you just love them all anyway. And I thought to myself, that's a nice thing to say, but it smells a little bit like BS. Like, you know, this sounds like <laughs> a nice thing to say. But it's, it's truly, this is going to sound so dumb, but I forget my kids are adopted." I forget. They're yours. I totally just forget, yeah. you know, because day-to-day life is just day-to-day life. And it's just, it's not what you're thinking about when you look at them. You're not thinking about, oh, when you're adopted, You're just not thinking about it. No. You know? Anyway, so that's my digression. there. Sorry. <laughs> no, but that's true. Because <laughs> it sounds like the nice thing to say, but actually true. It actually, and I've told Scotty later on, I uh, rung him up, but I was talking to him only about a year ago. I said, mate, I, you told me this 10 years ago. And I thought, are I can
0: spell the BS um
1: but he was 100% right 100% right he
0: was preparing you and you were like whatever <laughs> don't lie to me
1: doesn't it just sound like the nice thing to say yes. though Jesse, doesn't it it just sounds that's one of those like hallmark card things to say
0: yes you
1: just say it you don't have to mean it you just say it because it sounds nice a and you know, it'll make the other person feel good right. but it's actually it's really true and and it's not until like my older one came from a bit of a scary home for a while there and you just you don't think about that when you're looking at me that and If she gets a really good fright or gets really scared about something, she just, like, dissolves. She, like, freezes.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it takes you a sec to go, oh, oh, that's right. You came from a really terrifying place. And that's why you do that. Because day-to-day, kids aren't horrified, scared about anything, right? They're just living their best life. Um, And it's not until something like that comes up where they get a really big fright or their confidence is completely shaken by something unexpected. And you go, oh, that's right. I forget you came from a place where that helps build your fight. Fight, flight, you know, reactions. Right. You just forget. You just forget. So, wow. you know, I, I have this joke now where I say, well, my kids are adopted, but I don't remember which one. Because I honestly don't remember that they're adopted most of the time, even though it's both of them.
0: Wow. This <laughs> is
1: so- my joke. Oh, my kids are adopted. I don't remember which one. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's honestly true. I don't, I don't think about it. I just don't think about it.
0: Of course not. It's I your normal. they to be reminded they're adopted. Yes. Sounds so I, dumb. Um, I have a friend who is adopted and she always talks to me about her dad, her dad, her dad. And then I asked her, I, you know, I asked her something about her brother and then she goes, Oh, we're not from the same family. And then she had to, then I, then she told me the story that she was adopted, but I would have never Uh. thought that she was adopted. And it was wow. because she had to explain it to me. And the thing is, is that the kids see it the same way. They don't see it that way either. They just know that, you know, yeah. they, they may come from another family, but you're their family. You're their father. You're their, their, your wife is their mother. And, and they've also taken you on as their own. Yeah,
1: Because yeah. it's roles, right? Yes. I mean, they're names, but they're also roles. And it took me a little while to get my brain around this. How come my kids don't have some great big conflict with us where there's more than one person with the same role in their life,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I kind of thought, well, I don't have any conflict about love for my kids, even though I've got more than one. So it's probably fair that my kids don't have some conflict in their mind about loving different mothers. There's more than one, but they can manage those relationships and love them both in their own ways. And it just, you know, I was really expecting there to be more. You're not my real XYZ, you know, right? Like competing. And making you compete for the spot in their mind, and well, there's not really much of that and and fair too, because I don't make the kids compete for me, they're just my kids right, and so you know my wife and their mother is just their mothers. I really thought that was going to be trickier, but they've really taught me that
0: that's so beautiful, oh my gosh, I feel like I've grown as a person just to, just talking <laughs> to you, <laughs> oh thank you no, seriously. It's,
1: um- it opens your brain up, though, doesn't it? Because, I mean, I came from the most nuclear of nuclear families in the suburbs. And it just, uh, as I say, if I told 15-year-old Maddie, here's what your life's going to be like, brother, that guy would be like, nah, no way. <laughs> no way. That just seems too tricky.
0: I mean, I have this question. Just, I
1: don't know. And that's the thing. It seems tricky. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. It just, just be seems right.
0: it. So then, I mean. I don't
1: know. To, to me, it's just living. I don't know.
0: Right. It's, it's, it's just this is life. Um, Yeah. So to pinpoint this then for you may be difficult because you may have learned a lot about yourself during this time Um, just from the transition of not having children to having children. And now Uh right. So what, what's something that you learned about yourself that you didn't realize that was a character trait of yours?
1: That's a really great question. Um, I think, it's probably typical of people who've got some relationship with their parents too, to feel like, well, if this person who had this role in my life, I've got admiration and respect for the way they did that. I'd like to emulate that. And I can remember thinking to myself just how patient my own father was with us as kids. And I mean, he had three of us. That's a lot of noise. And especially in our accent. But (laughs) what, (laughs) what I learned is that's not fair. I'm not my dad. That's not fair. And I think I also sort of learned later on too that, well, I've probably mistaken something. Like, have you had that moment? Everyone's had this moment, right, where you look at your parents and, you you know, for ages you just see them as your mum and dad and it's hard to unpick the emotional thing about them being your mum and dad and just meet them as a person and go, if I met you in the street and I had no idea who you were and I had to learn about you, what would I think about you? Have you ever done that with your parents? Any, any uh. member of your family? Because that's an interesting thought, right? To go, well, what would I think of you if I didn't have this emotional connection I've never not had? And I thought to myself, gee, you know what I think of my dad? I'd actually think he's kind of a bit vacant and forgetful and sometimes he's just daydreaming. <laughs> I, thought, I can't judge my own patience against a guy who's probably daydreaming a bit. That's not fair. <laughs> so I was probably accidentally giving him too much patience credit, where it's like actually he was probably driving Mum crazy by thinking about sports at a time where he re- Mum really needed him to be thinking about the family. Right. <laughs> so probably being unfair to myself. So that's what I've learned is, if yeah, if, if you can take emotion away from some of the relationship you have in your life and actually really take stock of the person and just realise how many things that you're imagining about them that aren't really probably true and that you're trying to live up to sometimes things that aren't true just to match it.
0: That is a powerful thought. Sense? Absolutely. I'm sitting here with what you just said and that is such a powerful thought. And to know that, um, your family's shortcomings or your parents' shortcomings aren't your shortcomings. You don't have to also assume those and, yeah. and, and, um, Keep with this like cycle of whatever things may have oppressed them, or, or that is, I have to like, I really have to sit down with that thought now because my mind is rattled by that. But, but that is Whoa, so true. I wasn't
1: expecting to be profound.
0: Yeah, you just did. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to look at now. I'm going to think about my mother and like, wow, yeah. <laughs> well, so
1: this is the thing, right? So for me, you'd say, and it's a shortfall or shortcoming or something like- but you know I turned it into this wonderful strength for the guy Mm -hmm. and I mean okay so now it sounds like I'm just chipping the old man okay it's not that because I still think you know I spent all that time thinking he was just enduringly patient and maybe he's not maybe actually when he's paying more attention he might be grumpier than he really is but he's just off daydreaming about other things and that's a nice escape in his little mind he's built these wonderful happy places for himself to go to So there's actually some strength in that to admire as well right because I'm somebody who probably doesn't do that enough. I let myself stay in the moment and get stressed out about what's coming next. And and my old man, now he can find the space to drift off and not let the present and what's coming up next bother him as much. So it's, it's a shortfall that I'd misinterpreted,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: it's a strength that's also kind of brilliant. And that to measure myself against the misunderstood, terrible mistake. Because then like... Kids are kids. They'll do things to get under your skin. Sometimes they're doing things that they know will get under your skin because they're trying to leverage a power play, right? right? And the game is to make you mad. So they can be like, ha, I made you mad. You're a bad guy. Now you have to give me what I want because you yelled at me and you need to feel bad about it. Like, it's all about power play and leveraging relationships when you are kids. And, and then you get mad and you go, oh, my dad would never have got mad about something like that. Oh, here I am beating myself up about having this patience shortfall. No, I'd invented the level. Of his patient, I'd invented it because I just misinterpreted. And here I am marking myself against that, and then beating myself up for not beating this invented threshold.
0: Right. So yeah, that's what I learned. Right. You can create your own markers of what you believe is a love successful, quote unquote successful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like admire people and model what you want to be off people you respect and admire, but yeah, don't feel like you've got to meet arbitrary thresholds you've created against that person. Be realistic about who you are. And, you know, that, that's really what I learned.
0: Wow. <laughs> so then what advice would you give someone going through the either the adoption or the fostering process?
1: Oh, this is such a great question because I think this is a, a question that you could also say, what advice would you give someone who's not going through the foster adoption process? Absolutely, yes. When you meet people and they say, oh, what about that? This answer will go for them too, and and really it's that one thing you get from people when you say, oh, well yeah, so the kids aren't mine. Are we fostered or adopted. If people look at you like you're wearing some kind of cape,
2: mm-hmm. like you're yeah,
1: some sort of superhero. But you know, they same people have walked past you in the mall. They've seen you doing the drop off at school. They see you at weekend sport or at birthday parties, whatever, and they don't know anything about your situation. You just look like everybody else. Because you are. You're just like everyone else. You, you just yeah, Okay, so you're pulling a few different strings in the background. But, you know, the duck gliding on the pond thing that you, they're trying to do for their kids is the exact same as yours. You just might have a bit more thrashing going on in the water. <laughs> so the message really is that, you know, yeah. we're simply just a family too. And every time you've walked past us and not known that we've built the way we are, you've just looked at us like a family. So that's all we are. And we're just people like you. Absolutely. And there's no capes. There's no superpowers. Um, you know, it's... There's really no trick to it. It's, um, I think then for people who are in the process, when you know it's what you really want, then you will find ways to make sure that that's successful. And those finding ways for my wife and I were doing that heavy reflection. And I mean, I don't know, in all the answers and all the questions that we've shared today, you can probably pick up. I'm someone who really likes to let stuff marinate and reflect. Mm. And my wife probably isn't as nuts about doing that as I am. But I think because we've got quite a lot of self-awareness and then we're able to learn from each other about, you know, I was saying before about how my wife can see the ripples in the pond from when I'm stressed about something before I'm even near a spot where I'm ready to talk about it. Like she's got that awareness of who I am and what I'm like as well. That's the advice I've got for people going through the process is that if you're doing it with a partner, you, you want to get as close to something like that. You know, we, you're seeing the world almost back to back with each other. So you can be picking up the things that your partner's not seeing for them. They can be picking it up for you. But you can also be so self-aware about your position at the same time. Like, I, I think it's the only way that you're going to succeed in it because there's so many stakeholders when you're the representative and the advocate for your little person. And then... I felt like I was going to say more there, but I really yeah. didn't know what to say. No, but uh, <laughs> I think that might be it. That that might be it. <laughs> uh,
0: how about for people who may not be the uh, um, the person who's adopting or fostering, but the maybe the person on the outside who is willing to be a support system, or like maybe perhaps like if it were your mother, or your father, or you know a friend of yours, um, what advice would you give? to them because especially if they're a supportive friend who wants to be there and, and be helpful um is there anything that you yourself have even gone through or have had to say to your friends or family so that they you know are, are a little more oh, aware babe, this is right? a
1: great question this is a great question because <laughs> i mean so my parents i don't think they realized they were taking on an aboriginal granddaughter the moment that we decided we were going to go into foster care i don't think it was on their plate to have to realize I'm going to have to do a whole bunch of cultural responsibility learning as well. You know, so I think the best thing you can do if you're a support to somebody who's going through a process like this or is completing a process like this and has a little person in their care is to do the work like you would if it was your mate having their own kid, you'd know about their story and you'd know about them. And, and the best support you can be is to offer the same support, I mean, it goes in a little bit more depth because all of a sudden my parents are like, well, they're from an even less evolved version of Aboriginal education in our country right. than I had. My, what I was learning was deemed progressive compared to what they were getting, where it was still very segregationist uh, in our country. At the time, my parents were in school. Aboriginal people weren't counted in the census. They weren't even considered people. It was It's horrible, right? Yes. And now, if to tell them, oh, by the way, Zip forward 40 years, you're going to have her an Aboriginal granddaughter. Like it, that would rattle their brains, Absolutely. their 70s brains. It would just rattle them. So I think that's the best advice I can give is that once you know someone's in that process, learn about it, mm-hmm. be with them in it because they'll appreciate it. Yes.
0: I, I love that. Learn about it and be a part of the process and and, and be a, as aware as you can be about the situation um, it'll it'll make you a better person. It'll make the individual a better person. Oh my! I God. mean, an ask because your yes. friend will
1: want to tell.
0: Yes. Oh and yeah. The assumption I, I think too,
1: <laughs> You don't want to be the person who's just constantly telling the story unprompted, but when mm. people ask, um, you know, that they're asking because they genuinely want to know. It. So if you want to know, ask. Right. Right. Well, but chances are people to will
0: ask. Yeah, exactly. Chances are the person will share with you as long as you're not asking it in a yeah. in in a way that would be offensive. But
1: <laughs> totally. And I think you're the guardian of the child's identity. You're the guardian of their safety and their security. And you've got to be careful how much information you share about them. And I sort of realized through this. I was thinking at the top. Don't mention the kids' names. Oh, well, I've mentioned the kids' names a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. I'm in a completely different country. Yeah, okay, it's probably okay. I haven't really gone into any depth about identities of anyone else around them. It's probably fine. But you know, that's it's a layer of responsibility that you carry as well. As, okay, so there's probably some things you can't tell your friends about the kids' stories. I'm not telling everybody who comes into contact with me and asks a few questions about my oldest one about what her life before us was like because it was it was not a great place for her to grow up and. And it was pretty scary for her. Um, And that's all people need to know because it helps explain a bit about her. They don't need to know more than that. And it's Peyton's story and she can share it herself, you know, where she sees fit, when she's older, with who she wants. It's her story. It's not mine.
0: Wow. I, I feel like I've learned so much during this podcast and I feel like I could I could learn so much from you as an individual. Like you seem so insightful, and you are a deep thinker. Just the analogies alone, Um, I'm gonna quote a lot. (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you a lot (laughs) in in future posts because, um, yes, you're very insightful. Um, your your daughters are very lucky to have you, uh, and and your wife. And I I can only imagine how you are as a couple. So it's thank thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I know no, I appreciate it um, tremendously. Uh, wow, I cannot wait for everyone to hear this.
1: <laughs> I just thank you for having me on, and indulging course. me to talk so much. Oh I'm no, a talker, please! I'm a talker too.
0: Talk. <laughs> that's. I think that's why we have <laughs> we podcasts, right? because no one else wanted to listen to us anymore, so we had to go into a room.
1: Really well. Lock so, us I'm going to find new people. I don't need you. Yeah. I'll find new people. <laughs> I've got Instagram. I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's, that's a huge part of it. But you know, uh, this is the thing. Like, if we're both talkers, I, I've, I just realised how much I'm dominating the talking, which is uh, uh, that's got to be that's got to be tricky because you know I just talk and talk No, and talk. no, it's but, okay. I mean, this is something I do too. I like comparing things. So this is where the analogies come up. I I like comparing things and you know, my work in work I'm in sales and mm-hmm. sales is nothing but comparing stuff. Um, so that's where it comes from I think.
0: That's I mean come on now. That's it's a great thing to be able to do. You could probably talk yourself out of a shoebox.
1: <laughs> something like that, yeah. It's something from like that, I I've, I've, I've heard them all. <laughs> 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 oh, but mate, thank you. I've just had such a great time.
0: I, I did too. Um, thank you. It I feels do so- like
1: we've known each other such a long time. That's the weird thing. Is like we have not spoken live until the start of this, but it feels like I've known you a long time.
0: No, I feel like I know you. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, you're you're like my cousin. We're going to
1: be part can, of La Familia, yeah?
0: Oh, yeah, you're part of La Familia, absolutely. Yeah, you well, are. my
1: accent is horrible on that. I, can't, I had somebody tell me, I was reading something in Espanol the other day, and they told me that I sound like their Duolingo app because it's all... <laughs> <laughs> somebody who clearly doesn't speak it as a first language trying to pronounce it. <laughs> and, you know, the Spanish-speaking community here is, is not very big because there's not a lot of Spanish-speaking... Uh, populations near our islands. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot more Eastern Asian and and other languages and and the Spanish is not as prevalent here. So it's it's also not a second language that's, terribly common here as well so yeah <laughs> i'm glad you didn't pick on me about my pronunciation of "la Familia.
0: absolutely not um i have to tell you when i when i used to have an iphone i don't anymore but when i had siri on my phone i love the australian yeah. accent so much i put her in um there's like an, an accent for australian and yes! that, <laughs> that's how she spoke to me
1: <laughs> oh, this is great. Someone else told me this, this week too that they had the Aussie male series as their, you know, director and stuff. Yeah. And so they'd have maps up. And I was like, oh, can I imagine how this goes? Because this is how Aussies talk. Very much like, now, mate, you've got a roundabout coming up in 400. <laughs> you're going to have to hang left. <laughs> mate, mate, it's in 300. So Slow down, mate. Slow, <laughs> mate, you're going to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Chuck a Yui in 200 meters. Chuck a Yui. Oh. <laughs> so I'm hoping that's how your series sounded. If not, I'll like, blah, blah, blah. No, she did not
0: do that. Any service? You should record it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you should be the series.
1: Oh, maybe. a bit more <laughs> <laughs> All right. So take all uh, Hugh Jackman's work, yeah. <laughs> uh, that guy's overworked. I'm no, just helping him. Yeah. Just so gonna help him out. That's
0: it. it. Yeah. yeah that's it, me and Hugh. All right, so we're going to go into the next uh, segment is kokeke, which means what what?
2: Okay. Yeah. All right, I'm ready. Oh,
0: no. ¿Cómo So, coffee or tea?
1: Oh, coffee,
0: 100%. How do you have your coffee?
1: I uh, have it with milk. Uh, the coffee over here. Mm-hmm. This is a digression. This is so not aligning right now cuz I'm digressing. <laughs> uh, the big way to have coffee over here, and, and a, a, probably maybe not a majority of households yet, but it's, it's definitely tilting that way, have one of those machines. Someone told me in the U.S. they're called Keurigs or something like that. Oh, yeah. Where you, <laughs>
0: the instant that, You put in the yeah, top,
1: yeah. hot milk in the bottom, and then it you know shoots the shot in and you stir it up. Yeah, that's kind of predominantly the way households do their coffee here.
0: Yes. Um, do, do you know your Zodiac sign? Yes. Okay. i Scorpio. You, you're a Scorpio. Okay. What, do you know what, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, <laughs> I've never gone terribly far into it, but what I understand it to be is that, you know, it's probably unsurprising that I value relationships and personal interaction one-on-one. I've been told that that's something that shouldn't be surprising about being a Scorpio and just kind of being how I am. You know, again, we met like an hour ago in person, live, but we're talking like we've known each other for months.
0: Months, yeah.
1: That, yeah. Apparently, that's sort of something where it's like, well, you know, if you're going to be a Scorpio, that kind of lines up. (laughs) I would say that.
0: I don't know anything about zodiac signs, but you're my first Scorpio.
1: (laughs) Hey!
0: Uh, (laughs) and uh, Yeah. And, um when uh, uh, I'm trying to learn about the signs through people because I feel like that's the real way to learn them, <laughs> not reading a chart. Oh, and... that's
1: so smart. <laughs> crowdsourcing it.
0: Yes, crowdsourcing. Damn. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to let that marinate. I reckon <laughs> I can find a way to crowdsource knowledge on other stuff. Oh, that's so clever. Because <laughs> uh, otherwise I just research it. Me and Wikipedia tied as, Yes. Uh, I should just be asking it. Just, ask, so just okay. ask. I've written that down. Crowdsource knowledge.
0: <laughs> TikTok. i right, hijack your quiz. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> TikTok or Instagram?
1: Instagram, but you know, it's because I'm almost forty, so I don't actually know what TikTok is.
0: <laughs> it's okay. I'm in my thirties, and I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> I had a mate who's the same age as me, who is into it, and he described it as just positivity. It's just this little window of positivity in his day, seeing funny, little, creative, happy snapshots
2: mm. of stuff that
1: people are doing. And I thought I could get on board with that, but I don't have time for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's it. And my kids talk about TikTok. They're all into like the dance. Like, oh, God. All you have to have is a bit of music on in the car and my children start looking like they're having a stroke with all their little <sighs> dancing. So automatic. And they, they say, oh, it's, it's, this was a TikTok. And I don't quite know what it means, but that's, yeah, I associate it with my children having involuntary dance movements.
0: Oh, uh, involuntary spasms, body spasms. <laughs> yes. I was getting coffee earlier with my niece. Um, there's a coffee shop down the street from my house, and she's doing the dance, there's, right. And but there's no music on. And I said to yes! her, there's no music on. What are you dancing to? She's like, it's TikTok. And then like... <laughs> Her little body, like ah, I was like, oh, okay. in her head. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's infiltrated oh, her so mind.
1: <laughs> but you know, when we were kids, we'd just spontaneously dance without having to blame TikTok. We would just do it, and we'd just say, "Why are you doing that?" And oh, they're imagining.
0: Yes. Oh yeah. It TikTok hard. is the
1: new word for imagining, is it? Using someone, it's crowdsourcing imagination. Oh nah, my goodness, go. that's true. I've compared that in a second. There
0: yes. <laughs> I'm
1: a comparison machine. It's what I do. <laughs>
0: All right. Are you a morning person or night person?
1: Oh, well, I've only just become a morning person. How? I used to be the most vicious night owl. And then about four months ago, I quit my job and I I completely cut alcohol and snacking out of my life and started getting up at five o'clock every morning to go for a walk or a run every day. And I'm just this morning person now. So
0: you forced yourself like, into Just like it.
1: that. Wow. Yeah, 100% yeah
0: no to self
1: i totally had this like rebirth that could have been a transition story actually just quitting the job i've been at for 12 years to just you know throw myself to the mercy of what happens next um but yeah I just just so beautiful if i'm changing one thing i'm changing it all let's just throw oh out all the god. things that i wish i didn't do
0: oh my god we could probably have our own personal conversation about that because if i could throw away just chuck everything and do that i would do that that oh we may have to talk so what about what I think things. you're
1: saying here is we need to start our own podcast. We've got the,
0: uh, oh. I don't know what we've G'day, TT. Yeah. How about
2: that? <laughs> G'day, TT. <laughs> and I the gown, TT. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: it. I, love I can it. get on
1: board with that because I feel like I'd learn a ton from you and I've asked zero questions.
0: Oh. <laughs> have me on. Have me on. I will be there. <laughs>
1: This is where I need to start my second podcast to just talk to people. Because, I mean, what am I going to do? Bring you on an American football podcast to talk <laughs> fantasy American football? Am I going to, no, no. But, I mean, oh, gosh, I'd learn a heap from talking to you. I just know it. <laughs> I can tell. That's... I think I've, oh, man, this has been the longest time anyone's ever taken to do a speed round i'm so sorry no it's
0: okay it's okay that sometimes happens it's all right um i'm
1: hijacking it
0: (laughs) i I feel like i know the answer to this um especially because you just gave up alcohol going for a walk or a night out if you need to blow off some steam
1: oh you know yeah Mm -hmm. you'll know and i mean six months ago it would have been the other way around i've always been a bit of a distance runner in my spare time anyway like i like the process of preparing for like marathons and stuff right And again, hijacking the speedrun. My brain loves this stuff where you set a stretch goal and then you install tiny little steps like a staircase to get to that stretch goal. So if it takes you months to do, fine. You've got little scoreboards along the way with your progress on how you've mapped out how you're going to do it. So you know how you're traveling. And then by the time you get to the end, the marathon day, well, it's the start line to the marathon. But no, no, honestly, it's the finish line. Mm -hmm. You've done all the work and that's the start of your victory lap. And it got me thinking, someone said this to me months ago. I don't even know who, and I'm addicted to this thought. What if any task that was the stretch goal, you could set yourself, your, your vision board, anything on that vision board, what if you could break that down to a series of steps so small each step was impossible to fail?
0: Oh... Another. And I just
1: am addicted to that thought. Oh, my God. What if any stretched goal I set my mind to, I could just know was achievable then because I'd just broken it down into such small steps, such absolutely attainable steps that they were almost unmissable. Yeah, and I'm addicted to that thought. So sorry, again, taking a very quick answer and making it a very long one.
0: No, now my mind is rattled. Now it's rattled. <laughs>
1: Someone said this to me months ago and I'm still rattled. So good luck. I'm so sorry. Sleepless nights for you. You're going to sleep poorly or well. I don't know. You are.
0: I feel like you're insightful because you're in the future, though, because you are a day day ahead of me, so you just know.
1: What time is it there? It's like 8.30 at night or something? It is. It
0: is. It's 8.30 here, yes. And
1: it's 10.30 the next day for me. Yes. Like, I'm starting to think about morning tea the next (laughs) day. Do you want to know the Powerball numbers? No. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> All right,
0: favorite local slang, and I feel like as an Aussie, you have a lot of slang, but what's your favorite oh, one? Oh, God,
1: hey, mm-hmm. um, and this is one that I do on my podcast, so it's not common, but as a farewell, Hooroo.
0: Hooroo?
1: Hooroo, H-o-o-o. H-O-O-R-O-O, Hooroo. It's uncommon, it's underused. I'd love to hear more people saying hooroo as a farewell. From you know, so instead of saying see you later, mate, or whatever, it's saying hooroo. hooroo. It's it's underused. It's traditional farewell, but it's underused. We're going to use that today.
0: <laughs> hooroo.
1: <laughs> I say it at the end of all my podcasts. Too. Hooroo. Yes. yes. I'm trying to get some. If one person starts saying it, I'll be happy.
0: <laughs> I'll start saying. I'll add it to the end to the outro.
1: <laughs> well, and I'll start saying familiar or something. What's well, something I can say? Can you give me one? All I've done is talk. I haven't even got anything off you yet. I need something from you. What's your favorite slang?
0: So my favorite slang. um, Hmm. So so I actually learned this from um, my one of my friends. She's Dominican, so we're like a little melting pot here. And um, she was oh great, yes. So she um, they always say dale, 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 which means hit it, like hit it. But
2: yeah,
0: um, it, when we use it in a sentence, it means right, right. So when you say oh. you say dale, like dale means right.
1: And that's a D, set of stuff? dale. Yeah, D A L E, dale, dale,
0: dale. All right,
1: all right. Yeah, I'm bringing that to the main streets of Canberra.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> giddy up, dale,
0: dale, damn. <laughs> All
1: right. I'm gonna start using that today. You don't think I won't.
0: Oh do it, do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Supermarket managers of this town, once they're done with my sales pitches, we'll be getting some Dali on the way out the door. None of this, what are the next steps? It's gonna be
0: Dali Dali. You'll be like, oh, right, right, you're right, you're right. And then you just just like, instead of saying mm-hmm. you're right, you say Dali, Dali.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, so great. Okay, cool.
0: Uh, favorite artist of talking. the moment. It could be visual, it could be digital, it can be musical.
1: This is a musical artist. Okay. Uh, I know last year there was a great big movie about Eurovision and Iceland at Eurovision, a Will Ferrell movie called Fire Song. And if anyone's watched that uh, and then watched Eurovision this year, it happened in the last week of May, the group from Iceland were actually fantastic. Uh, The artist, his name is Duddy, D-A-D-I, and his band is called something unpronounceably Icelandic, Gagnamagnid. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And it's uh, it's spelled exactly how it sounds. Uh, Yeah, their song is called 10 Years, and uh, I don't know how to answer this quickly. Again, I'm I am the worst guest. The song is called <laughs> 10 there. years. And it's a song, the guy's written about his relationship with his wife. It's just a beautiful song about how, you know, somehow their life just keeps getting better. He's just constantly stunned how much he just recognises he's in love with his wife. I guess, It's a beautiful song.
2: Aww. And it,
1: it's catchy and disco-y. It's sort of modern disco-y. It's so daggy. And because I'm almost 40, I'm allowed to be super daggy. But because the competition was postponed last year for coronavirus, everybody who was still going to represent the country from the year before. The rules of the contest are the song has to be less than three months old. It has to be a new song. And the song they had last year was even better. So do yourself a favour. Google up Daddy, D-A-D-I, because, again, it's a very modern disco-y kind of feel, very daggy dancing. The group all wear these green jumpers with pixelated cartoon versions of their own faces on them. It's so funny. The dance moves are so amateur. (laughs) <laughs> and you can just see it's them self-deprecating and taking the mickey out of themselves, having a laugh at their own expense, which Aussies, we love having a laugh at our expense. Um, they've really tickled me. So the his name is Daddy, D-A-D-I, and the band's name is Gagnamagnid. Agnid. Horrible. Horrible to say, but fantastic.
0: I've written it down. I'm listening to it I'm right addicted to that song,
1: that 10 year <laughs> song. In quiet moments around the house, I'll just bust out with somehow it keeps getting better. And my wife just <laughs> rolls her eyes and she's like, this contest was seven weeks ago, man. How is this song still in your head? I'm, Good luck getting it out. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, so I'm addicted.
0: Alright, and then uh, I do have a few more. Favourite time of year?
1: Oh, definitely winter. Winter? Yeah, definitely what?
0: winter. Okay, probably. Don't some, people like, like with, winter? Uh, I live in New Jersey. We get, like, negative temperatures here, so.
1: See, when you I, say negative temperatures, that's different from my negative temperatures. That's right. Because your temperature different to mine, too, right. so that's.
0: And it's ridiculously cold. Yes. It's very cold. And I don't, we don't have any, we have to travel a little to get to the mountain areas and I've never snowboarded. So I can imagine if I could do something (gasps) athletic in it, I would love it, but
1: find a way to make it fun.
0: Yes. The reason
1: I like it is because it's the opposite. Like the summer here can be suffocating. Mm. Uh, You know, we're, 600 odd metres above sea level, about 2000 feet above sea level. So it's quite dry. It's, we're two hours from the coast, so there's no sort of humidity. We're not near any other large body of water to help keep the climate temperate. So it can get quite cold through the winter and we get, for us, so you know, overnight yesterday it was minus seven degrees Celsius, which I guess is about 20 degrees.
2: Oh.
1: And then in Fahrenheit, and then on the other end of it in summertime, we get those days that are over 40 degrees in summer which is somewhere in around the 105 range so you know quite a broad measure of temperatures and the summer can be quite stifling this periods where you can go weeks of days over 35 degrees which is about 100 and and for me because you know one of my spare time things is going out running and it's difficult to do that in in that dry heat and for me, I will load all my, like, events that I want to do into wintertime, so all my training for it, or springtime. So all my training for it can be through winter because you can always throw on another jumper. You can always chuck on a bath, four gloves, or whatever. But on, you know, a 40-degree day where, you know, it only really got 10 degrees cooler overnight, it's just it's, it's too stifling and it's too difficult to, mm-hmm. to do that pastime in a competitive way that I enjoy. So I've kind of really rallied into winter, and it's one of these things where, too, because our town, it's so different to the other big cities. They're all coastal and temperate. It's one thing that people hate about Canberra, and they go, "Oh, Canberra, it's so cold." And it's actually kind of the thing I like about it the most. It's such a pretty town when it's covered in frost. It's quite a beautiful town when it's foggy, and uh, people don't seem to love it as much as me. I've heard but I think that. It's what makes it beautiful?
0: Someone I follow online is from Cameron. She's pretty big. Out. Really? I think she's from Cameron, or her family's from is Cameron. This Kenya Hennessy. No, it's not that. It's um uh uh Sarah's day. I think her family's Ooh. from Cameron. I wanna say that, How about that I think they are. Um I followed her like way back and I've just never unfollowed no her way. account. And now like I s I you know, I watch her family every now and then and also they have the accent, so you know I'm That's like nice. Yeah. <laughs> So, but anyway, I think her fan, I, I'm not sure. You keep saying Cameron, I'm like, where have I heard that word before, before other than someone's first yeah. name?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, sorry. Uh, this is my lazy Aussie pronunciation of things. The town's called Canberra. C A N B E R R A. So I guess if you're going to say it how it's written, it's Canberra. Ah. Um, but we're Aussies and we're lazy. So we say Canberra, Melbourne, <laughs> Brisbane. <laughs> you know you hear american actors say melbourne i'm like wow maximum effort used to pronounce that you cannot make that sound harder no. we'd say melbourne
0: <laughs> that's probably why we're all stressed out over here we're over pronoun- uh, pr- uh, pronouncing things and we're trying too hard yeah. so we're way more i feel like australia's is the thing like, more- so the
1: aussie pronunciation of things there was this song years ago by simply red called if you don't know me by now now everyone knows a song like if you don't know me by now. You know, everyone knows the song. They've heard it in supermarkets their whole life. Uh, and the Aussie pronunciation is like, if yous don't know me by now. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> we're just so lazy and we speak so terribly. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> use lot. <laughs> stop doing that. Use lot. Yeah. Lazier. Lazier is the way to go. Aussie <laughs> pronouncing lazier. I had a friend who lives in Kansas giving me all kinds of crap because I was talking about going up to the mailbox. And she's like, the, what? And it, well, mailbox, you know, when the mail goes. Do you mean mailbox? And like, really pronounce that <laughs> the IL part of mail. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just hadn't realised that I just pronounced it like it's a W instead of an IL. Oh, mailbox. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure I but yeah, that. apparently that's it. I'm, I'm extraordinarily lazy in my pronunciation. <laughs> it seems. Okay. I didn't think it was a problem, but I, I had it pointed out to me and I got very defensive. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've said it like this my entire life. What do you mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the time I was a bit like, oh, how dare you? And now I've come to terms with that it. it's all right. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. oh yeah. we have similar things. Like we say water or wa- um, water. So it depends on water, where you Water or water. Oh, yeah, it just depends on what where I'm. you are. People, if I say water, like when I was in school, they they would make me say the tur but I come from water. a very urban area and we just say water.
1: <laughs> water. Water. Oh, gosh, we're so lazy to water. This is like you get English people to say bottle because that will tell you a bit about where they're from because if there's no teas at all, it's bottle.
0: Bottle, <laughs> yes, bottle.
1: A bottle of water. <laughs> and water is another one because it's got the yeah, bottle of water, mate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just don't pronounce the teas at all. Nothing. Uh, what was the one that, Ki- Kiwi? So New Zealand's the two islands to the east of us and the fun, you know, you get a few kiwi accents over here and their accent is much softer on vowels than us and Mm -hmm. they kind of pronounce a sounds like an i so it'd be um thanks instead of thanks oh and thanks very much and and then you know six the the i sounds kind of come out a bit flatter like a u so it's like sucks and fish and chips
0: oh my and, god reading must have been so hard for them like to learn to read oh my goodness
1: i mean i'm sure it's fine for them but it's just you know if you if you ever want to give kiwi a bit crap then uh, you talk about having sooks being fish and chips
0: <laughs> well like i have <laughs> and then we get it. very
1: offended if people think we sound like new zealanders like no we don't no yeah, don't <laughs> Well, like I or some have people say we sound like English people. We're like, no, we no, don't. We're no, war.
0: we don't sound like that. No, no way. No way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have students who are like from other countries. I teach students from. A, um, I'm a bilingual teacher, so all my students come from different countries, and um, they, when they're learning to read, sometimes they, you know, mistake some of the letters because English and Spanish are similar, but they have. S- some distinctions and reading is the reason why yeah. I say the 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 switching of the vowels because it happens in Spanish too, Spanish to English. And that must have been, it oh. must be a hard transition to read.
1: <laughs> oh, and English is such an awful language. Oh, if I'd spoken any worst. other language first and then I was forced to learn English, I would feel bitter about it because oh, it is a terrible language. It
0: is. It really is. It's one of the hardest languages to learn. I mean...
1: And I mean, and I know no other languages, so, you know, I'm out of (laughs) options, but I spent a bit of time learning some French in high school and I learned, I was trying to, this is where the Duolingo thing comes up because I'd I'd tried to learn a bit of Espanol from uh, Duolingo a few years back Mm -hmm. and and was terrible at it, Uh, but but sort of learning a a little bit about some of those languages does help you appreciate some things about English because it's such a I was going to say bastard language, and it's probably right, because it, it just cherry-picks some stuff from so many other languages. Yeah, it's majority French-German, but it really does... You can see the word construction coming into English from more ancient origins in other languages, and that's kind of fun, but... You know, I never committed enough to learn how to say much more than "Hi, my name's Matt" in a few languages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where's the bathroom?
1: <laughs> oh, I don't even know that. I'd have to act it out. That's horrible.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I'm gonna you a pat. Don't <laughs> 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 <Dalet>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> 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 All right, last question: <laughs> Netflix or oh, Hulu?
1: Netflix. Yes.
0: What's your What's your show right now? Favorite show right now?
1: Oh, this is horrible. Because um, we, I don't have Hulu here. The other streaming service I've got over here is one that's like of a local TV station, oh. and they bought um, Melrose Place, and my wife and I have been watching. How horrible, Melrose, Melrose Place, Place. Which Wow, shows my age a bit. But, I mean, we were too young to be watching Melrose Place when it was on, but we oh, were yeah. Melrose Place adjacent, so we knew it was supposedly quite cool. And I'm watching it now thinking, this is just days of our lives with hip music, like <laughs> 1996 hip music. <laughs> really, it is. It's, I guess it was like 90210 was out before it, and it was written by the same people. Yeah. And oh, yeah, what does. they realized is you can't make a show like 90210 that's not 90210 because people will just watch 90210, right? Right. So then when the ratings were starting to tail because they were just trying to make a second 90210 and people were like, well, I'm not buying the budget brand. I'll go back to the, the main brand. <laughs> the budget
2: they brand. They <laughs> then just
1: started making the storylines as
2: outrageous
1: as possible. And it is, it is worse than the last series of Roseanne or the Golden Girls or any of those long-running shows where the last series was horrible. Mm. Um, But this is every series. (laughs) 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 Um, So I'm watching that on a a, a local streaming network called uh, Ten All Access. I watched every series of Survivor while we were in lockdown. 40 seasons of Survivor.
0: Oh, I didn't even know there was that that many. Wow, 40?
1: Yeah, um, I had Jeff Probst fever. But an actual Netflix thing that we were watching was, um, was Bridgerton. And I think oh, everyone watched God. Bridgerton, didn't they? Everyone Wasn't that like Bridgerton? illegal to not watch Bridgerton?
0: <sighs> I was.
1: It was one of those I British period I fought it. Thing.
0: Yeah, I fought watching it because I was like, ah, it's one of those time pieces. Like, meh. But then I saw the cast and I saw something online and then a coworker of mine suggested it again. And I was like, you know, all right, I'll give it a try. And then I fell in love with it yeah I fell in love with it. I can't even believe I liked it that much and then they have but there's books so I don't I'm, I'm very interested in seeing the next um, the, the next chapter that they decide to bring into the new yeah. series yeah I'm very excited about it And
1: that. what I understand is that then it's not written from the perspective of following the the Duke and the Duchess's story anymore. it's now, more lined up from a different character's perspective
0: yes and that's they, what i understand the I, Duke might be wrong. Dies, I believe <gasps> yes i saw something like he was in a coffin yes no way yes i could be wrong but i remember seeing a clip like that <laughs> if not you'll you know, be very surprised I mean, so like that he he's alive
1: that's <laughs> <laughs> That episode where they are in the duel and neither of them could shoot straight, like that was.
0: That's true, crazy. but he did leave the series. I know that I did see an interview with someone, and they said that he left the series. Um,
1: wow, they probably it's just gone.
0: offed them because of that.
1: Wow, yeah, well, that's a pity. It is. It's a wild show. I really enjoyed that.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Okay, yeah. so. so
1: that was my Netflix show last year, awesome. outside of Survivor and. And Melrose Place, um, and all this Melrose Place, yes. yeah, all this horrible Melrose Place. My wife and I are watching to to fill in the gaps because it can't be Melrose Place all the time. It would drive you really to a place of being quite unwell mentally. I think <laughs> um, is that we we've been throwing in watching those Agatha Christie mysteries solved by that detective character Hercule Poirot. Okay, and we watch those as well. So you know, we're exceedingly big dorks. <laughs>
0: okay so
1: just who we are
0: all right so then just to wrap up a little bit do you have any piece of advice or any closing words it doesn't have to be associated with the what we discussed in um during the podcast it can be just something on the side or if it's connected it's totally fine
1: you know what i think i've learned in the process of us talking today is uh I need to ask you more stuff. Um, the idea of crowdsourcing knowledge, that's, that's something that I think I'm taking with me from here. Um, <laughs> the idea that you can fill your knowledge bank. And this is just so smart. And I really like this. And I think this is something anyone could take away if they're not doing it already. I just can't believe that that's so simple and effective and beautiful is that it's crowdsourcing knowledge. And I probably do it in other parts of my life, but I've just never thought about it like that.
2: Um,
1: and to ask, because people will tell. And you just get smarter by doing that. And I mean, I probably knew that already, but it just hadn't crystallized like that. So uh, that's probably what I'm taking with me. And it's not as much advice to be given as advice I'm taking um, from just having been beautifully exposed to that lovely thought. So th- thank you for that.
0: You're welcome. I'm glad that little tidbit helped you.
1: <laughs> Unreal. That's just going to be marinating in my brain for the next God knows how long.
0: Yes. Whatever. Whatever comes of it, let me know. <laughs>
1: Oh, there'll be updates. Oh yeah. Definitely <laughs> update me,
0: update me. All right. 100%. Uh, thank you so much again, Maddie, for being here, Theo, Maddie, with all the knowledge we talked, um, we talked for quite some time and I may, I, I'm not sure if I'll keep it as an episode or break it into two. Like I have to, once I'm listening to it, I feel like I'll know a little more, but, um, yeah. I've, I've grown so much just listening. I feel a like a better person just knowing you and just having this relationship. And I just want to thank you for being part of the Hey Titi podcast, really being a part of La Familia now. And um, I just I'm really, truly thank you so much for for being on today's episode.
1: Oh, that's so kind. Such beautiful words. Thank you so, so much for, for having me on. I've really had a great time. I really enjoyed talking to you.
0: Thank you. Um, uh, everyone else, thank you for listening, for following Hey Didi on Instagram or Facebook. That's at Hey Didi, That's H-E-Y-Y-Y-T-I-T-I on Instagram, Facebook. On TikTok, it's at H-E-Y-Y-Y underscore T-I-T-I. You can also follow me on a personal page that I started. Not a lot of content on there, but sometimes I post post some stuff. Um, it's at Hey Jesse. So it's H E Y Y Y Y J. T-I-T-I-J-E-S-S-Y. And Theo, Maddie, where can we find you?
1: All right. So, uh, if you do want to take your brain out a bit and follow some American football with these funny accents, we're at Astro League Podcast. My old football team here in Canberra was called the Astros, American football. Not a big deal here, but when our team fell apart, we started this fantasy football league and it's now become the main character of the Astro League Podcast. So, we're Instagram and Facebook, Astro League Podcast. So on Twitter, Astro League Pod. We've got a good old-fashioned email address for oldies like me, astroleaguepodcast.gmail.com. <laughs> and a little merch store, stuff that is Astro League Podcasty related. So very green and gold, kangaroos, all that kind of thing. But also Astro's football team, a little bit of merch from the old Astro's football team logo stuff too. And uh, sadly, I'm not on like a TikTok or anything like that, but personal, uh, I am also on Instagram at Queen Bro Matt. Queen Bro is Q U E A N B R O M A T T. It's just a little play on my old hometown, Queen Deanne, which is right next to Canberra. Queen Bro Matt.
0: I love that. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, Mainly I,
1: just me yeah. taking photos of my town while I'm out running. <laughs> That's it. Runner's yes. porn. Yeah. Yes, but
0: definitely go and listen because not only do you talk about football, fantasy football, but you also sometimes bring on special guests. I've heard some pretty interesting stories. There's people from all around the world um, chime in and you have discussions with them. So, uh, You've
1: yeah, yeah. been really lucky. We've had some wonderful folks come through and I reckon we can probably find a way to, uh, to bring you in or I can run you through the ringer of asking you some football questions. That's been fun. Everyone who oh. comes through gets a football question or two. So,
0: Oh, my you know, God. I started sweating. Fun. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, my God, I have to do my homework. Oh, really? <laughs> I really need to get it in. Like-, like,
1: what color is a football? <laughs> <laughs>
0: can answer that one
1: <laughs> how many points do you get for us yeah yes,
0: i can answer those no, i can to make answer it a uh,
1: degree of difficulty relevant you know yes. people say "Oh, i'm not really a football fan and go, okay well let's just talk about mascots or colors of yes. team jerseys and stuff you know so, yeah. yeah
2: don't make it
1: too tricky it's, yeah it's meant to be that. fun like these things are all meant to be fun right jesse
0: right right i did i think too like yeah. well, i was listening to um again one of the ones um because once, once it was like a novice situation, it was like uh, fantasy football league for beginners. I was like, oh, yeah. this is for me. That title is me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and that's the thing, isn't it? Not everyone's going to be aware of American football to start with. Those who are may not be aware of fantasy football, but then my show is both those things really distilled. So I was like, oh, I need to find ways to give people access to this. If they find it and go, this kind of looked interesting, let's sniff it. Um, And they were a fun series to create because, I mean, my mates and I, we've been making this league, we've been in it for 12 years since our team folded. And it's easy to just forget what it would be like if you just stumbled into it and had to start today. Um, So that's kind of where the inspiration for that came from. And that was a heap of fun because it really got me to take out my old, jaded, bitter fantasy football brain and turn it back into, okay. I had to explain this to my mum. <laughs> I had to explain to a sixty-five-year-old white Australian woman. What would I tell her? <laughs> that's the baseline, right there. That's the, That's, the that's me. I'm at, that <laughs> I'm at
0: that baseline. I'm at that baseline.
1: Hopefully, they're nice and accessible, and explains a lot of the terminology and uh, the strategy, and, and why it's nerdy fun. Because essentially, that's all it is. It's nerdy fun. It's taking the football out and going. I think the probability of this guy doing this will score me this many points. And if he does that this many times, my team will have this many points from that player and then will have six other players. It's so nerdy, so nerdy. But I mean, that's intimidating as hell going to someone who's, you know, mm. breaking down spreadsheets and talking crap like that <sighs> without getting some background on it. So that, that's what that series was designed to do. And I'm glad you found it. I'm really glad. And yes. It sounds like you saw it and thought that doesn't look terrifying. No. So that also makes my heart happy.
0: Yes. Baby steps remember what you said earlier what if you could visualize something and break it down into small goals okay wow. that's attainable for me there you go
1: <laughs> how about that Dolly? right there
0: Hit
1: <laughs> Hit it. damn look at this outsourcing the outsourcing the knowledge love it this has been a best I just had such a great time. I
0: did, too. Thank you again so much. Um, Gracias, familia, for listening. Hooroo. (laughs) Hooroo. Hell, yeah. Oh, my gosh, Maddie.